welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Well, it's great to uh, be together this morning, be able to uh, uh, worship the Lord together. We are in Genesis chapter 18, if you want to find your place there this morning, in Genesis <clears throat> chapter 18. <clears throat> Thank you for praying for Sharon and I as we head back again, seems like We've been making a lot of trips in the last year, uh, but uh, uh, there'll be a funeral service for Sharon's mom there in the home church that they grew been in for the past um, 60 plus years, I suppose, and a lot of the family and <clears throat> relatives there, and so that'll be coming up, uh, what is that, Sharon, the 11th, 11th of August. And then uh, we need to take care of a lot of the details <clears throat> on that side related to her passing, and so appreciate your your prayers. My dad also is uh, it's his 90th birthday, so we'll be be able to be there for that. So we're thankful that we can can do that. Well, this morning we want we want to look at. Uh, <clears throat> Genesis 18, I want to read just the first eight verses to begin with. In Genesis 18, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if you have found favor, <clears throat> sorry, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, <clears throat> and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sheaves of fine flour, uh, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Father, this morning as we come to your word, I pray that you would uh, just help us to center our thoughts and attention upon you and upon your word and what you would have for us this morning. We call upon you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can you imagine what that would be like to have um, uh, three men show up at your house and to realize that uh, two, of, two of these men are are angels of the Lord, and they and the one is the Lord Himself come to visit you. Uh, that's pretty hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Uh, and maybe this afternoon when you're relaxing on the couch and you're about half asleep, and, and then all of a sudden um, 
these visitors show up. That's kind of the way it was for Abraham. <clears throat> we, if someone showed up at our house, we'd probably be reluctant to let them in <laughs> unless we knew who they were. But you, <clears throat> you know how it is when someone kind of pulls up in your driveway and you're not expecting them and everything gets in a, a rush. You're trying to organize a little bit, clean up a little bit, get ready for, for, uh, to greet them. But uh, this, uh, this appearance was not completely new uh, for Abraham. This, had, this was the sixth time now that God has appeared to him in some, in some way and spoke to him concerning this promise of a son and of the covenant that God had made unto Abraham and his descendants. But this, this appearance that we are reading about here in chapter 18 is a bit more, it's a bit more personal and intimate than the others had been. And um, we don't know if the previous appearances, uh, how the Lord exactly appeared to them, if they, there were times when he appeared bef you know, before them as a man before. But now the Lord, together with uh, these two angels, come in the form of, of men and spend some uh, significant time with them. And, and so we see Abraham as would be normal offering hospitality to, to uh, visitors. But really Abraham goes beyond the kind of normal expectation. We see, we see him bowing himself down to the ground in his address, O Lord, which is, which is the kind of the customary Adonai, which is not, not necessarily used to, to address God. It could be addressed to anyone who you wanted to show uh, respect and honor to. But it's interesting, this, Abraham speaks this in the singular Adonai. And so evidently, he uh, realizes that this one in particular is, um, maybe, he, maybe he knows that this is God, or at least he recognizes that the one is more important than the other two. And so he addresses him. And we see his offering of just a, a morsel of bread uh, turns into a feast, really, as he goes and prepares the calf and this, the meal and all, all that's uh, included there in those words. And so this um, midday uh, siesta has really turned into a fury of activity there uh, with the, the servants and uh, Sarah and the, the preparations that are made uh, for these guests. One of the things that we've, we've been learning as we work in our way through Genesis is that, that God is the creator God. He is, he is what to, in theology we refer to as transcendent. He is above his creation. He's outside of the creation. He's independent of his creation. He's all-powerful, as we saw in the previous chapter, the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And he is holy. He's a holy God. Unlike, unlike we as men in our fallen condition are unholy. And so this... This separates us from God. It, it, it drives God away from us because of our sin. 
But we also have learned that God in his love and mercy has committed himself to a saving relationship with us, to mankind. And so although God is transcendent, you know, he's above and beyond and outside and, and separated from us. He, he is also imminent, which means that he's present. He's, he's involved in his creation. He's, he's connected and committed unto us. And we, we have seen this worked out in Genesis in the, in the form of promises and covenants that he's made with man and We've seen with certain individuals that God has revealed himself in a more uh, personal way so that the scripture could say that, uh, that, that Enoch walked with God and Noah walked with God. And uh, we see also here with this man Abraham that it's re he's referred to on, on a few occasions that he was the friend of God. And, and the psalmist in Psalm 25 Verse 14 speaks of this friendship. It says, the, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. Uh, this is an amazing thing. That, that God would be a friend to us. That He would bring us into personal communion with Him. <clears throat> and John... <clears throat> Uh, it's 15 when uh, Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples right before he's getting ready to, to leave them. He's going to be crucified and he's going to leave. And he's, he's encouraging them, he's instructing them. And in verse 12 he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. And so we see the Lord Jesus Christ revealing uh, to them, to us, the Father, so much so that... Um, <clears throat> He told his disciples that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the, the radiance of the glory of God. He is ex express uh, impact or the exact impact or imprint of his nature. So that Jesus is the, the revelation uh, of God. <clears throat> He's come and brought to us the word of God and invisible physical presence and as we look back at the old testament at these appearances of god in various forms they are referred to as theophanies uh, a theophany is a is, a, is a, an appearance of god and most theologians take these visible manifestations of god and especially in those that are in bodily form to be identified with jesus christ and uh, these Old Testament appearances, they, they prefigure the coming of Christ in the flesh. So Isaiah the prophet would uh, prophesy concerning the son that would be born of a virgin, the Emmanuel, 
right? The God with us. In the Old Testament, God came in the, in the form of a man. But with the incarnation, he became a man. He is the, the God-man. And he not only revealed to us the Father, but became like us. And he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And that he died as our substitute in our place and paid the price for our sin that we might be forgiven and come into a relationship with him as children of God. Well, that's the Lord has come and visit with Abraham in a very personal way to commune with him, to talk with him, to strengthen their faith. And he really has, I believe, in this, in this occasion, the faith of Sarah in mind, um, as we will see. Let's read further uh, from verse 9, where here the Lord uh, repeats to Abraham the revelation that he had just given, this promise that he had just given in the previous chapter concerning this son of promise, and that Ishmael would not be that son, but that Sarah would have a son. And he specifies the timing as in this time next year uh, that she would, would give birth. <clears throat> and so it seems, although that God is speaking to Abraham, it's really given for Sarah that her faith might be strengthened. So let's read, read further from verse 9. <clears throat> These are the, are the angels, or, and, and the Lord is there. <clears throat> and verse 9, They said to him, to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of, of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. <clears throat> well, the Lord and these angels have had a, had a, had a relatively long visit with Abram. You can think about the time it would have taken. It, it just passes in one sentence as we read it, but you think about how much time it would have taken to prepare the food, to, to, to you know, prepare the bride, <laughs> to roast, to, or to cook you know, the lamb, uh, to, to prepare the, the meal, and then, to, then they've eaten the meal. And so I don't, we don't know how much time passed, but they would have had time to talk about many things and their conversations. And Sarah is inside the tent, and she's listening to what they're talking about. No doubt busy with other things too, but she's listening in. But the Lord wants to make sure that Sarah hears what he's getting ready to say. 
And so the question is asked, where is Sarah, your wife? So the Lord, Lord knew exactly where she was at, but he asked that, no doubt to perk up the ears of Sarah to make sure that she's listening carefully to what is getting ready to be said. And in verse 10, the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Well, it probably could have, you could have knocked Sarah over with a feather. She's not, uh, <clears throat> she's not ready to believe this. Uh, Abraham, no doubt, has already told her what the Lord had said just uh, not long before uh, in time. And the Lord had revealed this to Abraham. And Abraham also <clears throat> laughed in disbelief. Uh, this is incredible. This is impossible. And yet here now Sarah hears it and she laughs to herself not out loud so that anyone can hear, but she laughs to herself in disbelief because what she is hearing is impossible. Uh, she, is, she and Abraham have given up on her having a son. They're not even trying to have children anymore. This, it's impossible. And this is the thing that they had hoped for for so long, tried for for so long, but now... No, it's, it's impossible. But this is the second time that the Lord has given this direct promise. And the Lord is now going to confront this, um, this disbelief. And so he's still talking to Abraham, but he says, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And so he's confronting this uh, a lack of faith, uh, this difficulty in believing. And he says in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And he repeats again the promise, at this appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Well, Sarah, now that she's, she's been confronted with the reality that this visitor is the Lord, because he knows even what I think in my heart. And Sarah's afraid. And can't you see her sticking her head out the tent saying, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and can't you see yourself doing the same thing? Saying, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't think that. That's just like us, isn't it? When, when we're... We're guilty. We, we want to blame someone else. We want to defend ourselves. We want to deny it. It's the first reaction that came to her. And, and she says, I, did, I didn't laugh. But the Lord is not content to leave them in their disbelief and their doubtings. He wants them to have confidence and to believe and to trust Him. Especially now that His promise is impossible. Especially when what God says is too hard to believe. God wants us to believe because it's His promise that it's not impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This rhetorical question was meant to cause Sarah and Abraham and us also to remember who God is. To remember that He is the Almighty God. And as Hagar learned, he is the living one that sees me. 
The Lord is able, and He also sees us. He hears us. He knows us. He knows what our, what our needs are. And this word that He uses here, the word translated hard, as in, is anything too hard for the Lord, is a, it's a Hebrew word that's used 73 times in the, in the Old Testament. And in almost every case, it refers to, to the works of God. Uh, the deeds of God that are that which is which is wonderful and extraordinary and marvelous that that which causes us to wonder and be amazed because it is above and beyond what is humanly possible a couple <clears throat> examples of, of this use of this word and this truth you remember uh <clears throat> In the, the prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 32, the Babylonians have come and taken siege the the city of Jerusalem, and God has already told the prophet that they're going to be taken away into captivity. And God tells Jeremiah to go and buy a plot of land. <laughs> now this is land that's now going to be taken by the Babylonians. It's not going to belong to them, but the Lord is is telling them that they're going to come back. And God is using Jeremiah as a, really as an object lesson of faith. He says, I want you to go and buy some this land that's, that's under siege and it's getting ready to be taken. And Jeremiah in chapter 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth and by your great power and by your outstretched arm Nothing is too hard for you. And so the prophet is he's, he's speaking this truth and he's reminding himself that if God says it's going to happen, then he's going to go buy the land. You know, although it might not be a, a good investment or it doesn't seem like a good investment, uh, Jeremiah is going to obey the Lord. Remember in Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel, and this this has a lot of uh, parallels to what we read here in chapter 18 of Genesis. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel comes and announces to Mary that she, that she will give birth to the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, the one, the fulfillment of this promise concerning uh, the, the son or the, the descendant that would come. And in Luke 1, 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be <coughs> sorry, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you think uh, Mary, knowing the Old Testament, would have thought about uh, Genesis chapter 18? I think so. When, he, when the, <clears throat> God tells uh, Sarah, nothing is impossible with God. Well, why has God waited these 25 years with Abram and Sarah? 
and the promise that he's made, made to, to Abram about the son that would, would come, that he would be a father a multi, of, a, of a multitude. And uh, the promises made to his descendants and that through him the, all the, the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why has God waited so long for, for this fulfillment? It's now come. He, he's announced now that in the next year uh, they would have a son. Well, God wanted to wait until they were ready. He wanted to wait until they'd come to an end of what was humanly possible. So that they would acknowledge that it is God who has given the Son. And that He would receive all the glory and all the honor for what was accomplished. This Son of Promise would not come through natural means. Or, or not what is humanly possible. It would not come through the servant Eliezer. It would not come through the handmaid Hagar. But it would come from God. As a, as a, <clears throat> a work of God that when everyone would hear about, they would be amazed. That they would uh, wonder and they would <clears throat> realize that this birth is impossible with man but not with God. And you think about the, the covenant just in the previous chapter he refers to as an everlasting covenant. This covenant that God had, had promised was not going to be fulfilled by the power of man's ability, but by the power of God in His grace. The coming of the ultimate Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would, would be by the wondrous power of and, and the sovereign plan of God. And we too, who are sons of Abraham by faith, are born again, not by the power of the flesh, but by the power of God, that we might in humility acknowledge Him and praise Him and give Him glory for what He has done. You see, the sinner must come to God with empty hands. We, cannot, we can't bring anything to God. We come with empty hands acknowledging that we are like Sarah's womb, dead, dead in trespasses and in sin. Some of you would know the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, a cleft for me. That hymn that um, speaks of the Lord as, uh, as, as like a rock that we find shelter in, that we find salvation in. And, and the writer uh, is thinking in terms of God and His salvation and in us and our need for a Savior. And he says, Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy riven side which flowed be of sin a double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. In other words, if, if, our, if our zeal could be unending, and if our tears could just continually flow, 
none of that would take away our sin. He says, thou must save and save by grace. And in the third stanza, he says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So here I, I besef that I verloor is, and that I hart loop om na hierdie levende water te kom. The living water from the year of Jesus Christus. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the desperation that's needed for salvation. When a person comes to the realization that they have, they have nothing to bring to God to merit forgiveness and cleansing. And so we're totally dependent upon on the Lord and His work. And just like Sarah and Abraham realized that this son, this birth, was all of God. It was God's miraculous work. It was wonderful. It was amazing. That's what our salvation is. When a person comes to Christ, we can't look at them and say, well, you know, well done. No, we have to look at God and say, praise be to the Lord for His grace. He is the one has brought this work, the saving Grace of God. Remember in Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler that came to Christ and asking about how he could, how, how he could be right with God. And uh, the problem was that he was very wealthy and he had a, a dependence, a self-reliance upon his wealth. And in Mark 10 verse 23, Jesus <clears throat> looked around and he said to his disciples, this is after the rich young man had, had gone away because he, he wanted to hold on to that wealth and he was, wanted that more than he wanted the Lord. And Jesus said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, when you're thinking about Wealth, we are all very wealthy today in comparison to the rest of the world, much of the world at least. <clears throat> he says, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? You see, they got the point that Jesus is making, and that is that salvation is impossible with man. Because we are trusting in ourselves, and especially for the wealthy who are inclined to entrust themselves more than a poor person is. A poor person is more inclined to look to God and say, Lord, I need you. But especially in that day, the wealthy could, could give, they had to give, they could give to the poor, and they believed that when they gave to the poor that they 
They merited something from God. And so if you had more money, then you could you could you're in a better position to to come into the, the kingdom. And God is explaining to them and pointing out to them that it is impossible. And they, they get the point and they say, well, then who can be saved? In other words, there's no one that can be saved if they can't be saved. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You see, the Lord who is far removed from us in every way, has come near to us in the person of Christ. And He invites us to come unto Him and to receive the salvation by faith in Christ and to walk in fellowship with Him by faith and obedience. As He invites in Revelation chapter 30 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That's the invitation to us as well this morning. And it's a, I see it as a twofold invitation. It's an invitation to those that, that haven't trusted Christ to come and to receive of him life. And it's an invitation to us that know Christ to come and have fellowship with him, to commune with him in his word and in prayer and to walk with Him daily in communion like He did with Abraham and sitting down and having a meal together and communing with Him. The Lord invites us today and tomorrow and through the week and every day of the week and every part of the day to commune with Him. What a privilege we have of knowing the Lord and knowing His grace in the person of Christ Let's praise, praise Him together. Father, thank You for who You are and for Your great mercy and grace towards us. Thank You for the amazing work of salvation that, that You have wrought in Christ so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know You, so that we could have a relationship with You, and so that one day when You come back, we will be with You forever. We praise You for that your plan of salvation, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.